Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're continuing this idea of applying what Peter's been talking about, our salvation. And we come to this relationship called marriage. And sin reduces marriage to something painful and hard. Has anyone ever experienced that? Sin reduces marriage to something painful and hard. You have two unequal parties entering into a lifelong contract. And one of those parties is the boss and is going to use strength to get his or her way. And the ironic thing is you get into marriage because of love. And yet it can turn into conflict and enslavement. Now in the beginning, God made marriage to reveal himself in the world. Because you have three people submitting to one another and loving one another. That is, you have a husband and a wife and God. You have three beings as one. Now that's who God is. Marriage was meant to be the revelation of God in the world. Now when you submit to Jesus, he not only works to reclaim you personally, but then he works to reclaim all of your relationships. And we've looked at the relationship of a slave to his master. Now we're going to look at the relationship of husband to wife. And what Jesus does in a marriage is reflect his goodness, even if you're the only believer in the marriage. So we're going to read here in 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 1. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now what we want to notice here is that Peter is calling everybody to submit to everybody. Did you catch that? In verse 1, Peter says, wives, likewise. But then in verse 7, he says, husbands, likewise. That means in the same way. And the question is, as the same way as what? And you have to go back to chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. So Peter is saying that wives should submit to their husbands as 
a slave does to his master. But then he's also saying husbands should submit to their wives as a slave submits to his master. All right? Submit yourself to every human institution. And the thing is that God has established a hierarchy of order. And when everything functions in its hierarchy, there's no conflict. Slaves are supposed to submit to their masters because they submit to Jesus first. The highest authority. And then they submit to their master by the will of God. So in marriage, the wife and the husband are to submit to one another because they've submitted to Jesus first. He's the authority over everyone. Now in our next section, Peter's going to sum it up. In verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. He's saying submit to one another. But now he's showing how this works in marriage. And Submission really does work in marriage. These are the kind of scriptures that make certain kind of people just crazy. All right? I taught on scriptures like this in a, in a wedding in Germany. And it was the scriptures in Ephesians 5 about wives submit to your husbands. And I spoke those words and you could hear the fur on every woman's neck stand straight up and claws come out. Hostile crowd. Fortunately, I knew this. I knew this is like happy wedding. This was not going to go over because this sounds like male dominance. It sounds like unfair. The Bible teaches that women should crawl on all fours. And it's not true. Because God, first of all, you got to read further in the Bible. Some people read stuff and their minds snap shut and that's it. Context is everything. So this really works if you do it the way God says. Anybody who takes a couple of scriptures and rips them out of context and then begins beating somebody with it is already wrong. The scriptures were not made for us to beat one another up and slice and dice. Everything God says is good and healthy. All right? So marriage is something created by God, and only God knows how it works right. And when God does marriage, it's a win-win situation. There are no losers. So let's look at this. Wives... Submit to your own husbands. And it means to submit to another's authority. And this means just as in the case of a slave submitting to his master who's not necessarily reasonable. This master could be harsh, demanding, unsympathetic. And yet Peter says, for the sake of God, submit yourself and suffer. Now, he means submit even if your own husband is not a believer. With this caution that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is if there is no abuse going on. 
physical, mental, or otherwise. Because this is in no way a reflection of the love of Jesus to the church. In no way. And so if there's any physical violence, any mental abuse going on, the believer is not under bondage in such a situation. That's what the Bible says. So if anybody is getting beat up under any kind of circumstances, pull them out. Does everybody understand me here? This is not some kind of justification for abusing a person. But here's what happens. And Peter saw it happen in his own day. Is that a wife receives Jesus and says, wow. But her husband does not receive Jesus. And now you have a conflict in a marriage. You know, a woman might be especially open to Jesus because she's in a situation where she has no power. She's trapped in a situation. She's open to a savior. That's fabulous. But her husband, because he's big and tough and strong and thinks religion is for women and children, says, that stuff's not for me. He's big and tough. Not interested. And I have actually been in churches. I'm thinking of one church in particular where all the women and children were in front near the priest and all the men were in the back sitting in chairs, smoking cigars and reading the newspaper during the service. Why? Well, I'm coming to church. But that's it. I'm going to be a guy in the back smoking my big cigar. Sends a message, doesn't it? Religion is for weaklings. Well, I think you might think as a wife I got married so that I would not be alone. And yet here I am in my marriage finding myself I am more alone than ever. But what Peter wants to say is, you are not alone. And Jesus is with you. In fact, it's part of who he is. When he says to Moses in Exodus, I am who I am, that can be translated, my presence is with you. Not the fact that God exists, but the fact that he exists and he's with you. And so there you are in your marriage, but you're not alone because he's with you. And what you're to do is to submit to Jesus right there where you are because he has a bigger purpose for your life. Before Christ, your purpose was, I want to be happy. This is what I'm working for. And so you make your decisions based on, I want to be happy. But now that you're in Christ, you have a bigger purpose than your own personal happiness. And that is, you want to make Jesus happy. And anything that you can do that glorifies him, that's what you want to do. That's what life is about, a bigger purpose. So, yes, you do not submit to abuse. You do not submit to mental abuse. But apart from those, there's a greater purpose for your happiness and that is Jesus wants his kingdom to extend further than you. And he's going to touch all of your relationships. He wants to win your unbelieving husband to himself. He wants his kingdom to come into every area of your life. Now, 
He wants, Jesus wants wives to be persuasive. And he wants them to be persuasive by their beauty. Does that sound chauvinistic? But that's what it says. Women want to be beautiful, and men want women to be beautiful. But the real question is, what is the definition of beauty? Am I treading on thin ice or what? Do I have a safety net or am I just up here by myself? Let's talk about beauty for a second, shall we? Proverbs 31. Oh no, here it comes. Verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The true beauty of a woman is inward holiness. There are several problems with outward beauty. One is it's genetic. You can do nothing about that. Some women have won the genetic lottery and they're on the magazine covers. And then others haven't won that lottery. That's the way it goes. You can do nothing about that. There are no second tries. But here's another problem about even winning the genetic lottery is that physical outward beauty is temporary. And you will lose it. And nothing can stop that. Now, you can have operations. You can inject Botox. You can do all kinds of things. And guess what? That stuff can go wrong. Ever seen those pictures on the internet of ladies whose lip surgery went bad? Wow. There's bad stuff out there. I, I would say it's safer to leave it alone. But it's a losing fight. And of course, for guys, where did all of our natural beauty go? I'm living in a glass house, okay? But you know that if you're accepted for your outward beauty, what's going to happen when you lose it? You're here all the time about the high and mighty, and their wife gets a little bit wrinkly, and they just get rid of her and get another trophy wife. So he's like 78, and she's 29. What's so cool about that? Outward beauty is deceitful and passing. But here's the real beauty, says Peter. It's really beautiful, and it's really desirable. And that is being chaste, reverent, a quiet and a gentle spirit. This word chaste here in verse 2 is from a Greek word that is close in meaning to holy. And it's a word that originally meant inspiring awe. Like something that is so amazing, you go, wow. And purity is fabulous. Not corrupted. Not low, not dirty. Somebody who's really pure inwardly is a really attractive person. And here's this fear there in verse 2. But it's the kind of fear that is reverent. Now, when there's no reverence, 
There's no respect. There's no deference and that kind of respect towards a person that says, you're worth something. And nobody likes to get the message that you're not worth very much. But this kind of a person gives that message, you are worth something. Because it comes from the person. It's really different than, oh, I, I really think you're something. The husband may not be worthy of any respect whatsoever, but the wife gives it anyway. That's valuable and amazing. Quiet has the sense of tranquil, not agitated, tense, uptight, but peaceful. And it's amazing to be around a peaceful person whose life overflows with that peace so that you also begin to loosen up, okay? And whoa, I'm not just wrung out like a dish rag. It's more like refreshing. You know, Peter says here in verse 25 of chapter 2 that you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, when you're lost like a sheep, that's pretty upsetting, isn't it? How am I going to find my way back? Where did everybody go? Where am I going to spend the night? Are there any wolves around? So imagine you find the shepherd. He finds you. He puts you on his shoulders, brings you back, and you go, oh, it's over. It's over. I'll never do that again. Oh, man, I love my shepherd. He's so cool. See, peace. And what does your shepherd do? He leads you beside still waters because he knows you need peace. And this fourth word, gentle, it means humble. It means not worried about myself. And again, it's this thing of, I'm not uptight wondering what's going to happen to me. I know I'm squared away. So, I'm okay with that. I can think about somebody else. I can think about you. Now, all of these words actually describe the Lord Jesus. It's really his personality. He is pure. He has that awesome respect of the Lord. He himself is our peace. He is gentle and humble in heart. Now, in verse 4, Peter talks about, let it be the hidden person of the heart. But he doesn't mean for that hidden heart to stay hidden. He means wear all that gentleness and quietness on the outside. Let it be apparent. Let it be visible. Now, there's nothing the matter with arranging your hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Nothing the matter with that. But that's all secondary to who you really are as a person. Which means, what if you don't have the jewelry and the nice hairdo and all that stuff? Are you that same person? Do you need mascara to really be your best? You can comb your hair. It's okay. But I mean, are you that same person? This is a real challenge, you know, because pastors can be very dynamic in the pulpit and we have all the answers, you know, but what am I like driving my car? 
And my wife knows the awful truth. I have to work at loosening up. Let it go. So what if 10 cars just ran the red light? I'm still working at a gentle and quiet spirit. It's good for guys, too. But the point is, you have this on the inside because you're seeking your relationship with Jesus. Peter says, wear it on the outside. And let that be your beauty. Because when you think about it, it is desirable. Would you like to live with a person who's quiet, gentle, doesn't think about themselves, gives respect? Wouldn't you like to live with a person like that? Wouldn't that make life fun? Jesus wants the unbelieving husband to see what God really looks like up close so he can see for himself. Oh, this isn't a cult. This is like really good. And the point is to win the husband. Now, this is going to take some time. Your husband has to see the change and then live with it and go, wow, something's really going on here. And you might have some bad characteristics to live down. That is, it's possible to say, my husband is not moving, and I have to get him moving. And so you get on him, and you can nag and scold and move, and you can get action out of your husband. Because there are some husbands that tend to be inactive, apathetic, not moving. And so the only way to get them moving is action. But that, is, that brings conflict. So what Peter is saying is, now, don't do that. You don't have to get your husband moving. And you do what is right even if you suffer for it. And this finds favor with God. That's what it says in verse 4. This is very precious in the sight of God. And you know, Peter's example for all this is Sarah, Abraham's wife. And it's amazing if you look at her life. For one thing, she won the genetic lottery. She was beautiful to the point where, remember, they went down into Egypt because of a famine. And Abraham says, you know what? You're so beautiful that the men of this place might kill me for you. So you tell everybody you're my sister. And what happens? Pharaoh takes her into his harem. Now, she is 60 years old, folks, and Pharaoh takes her into his harem. She must have been fabulous. But you know what? It happened again when she was 89 years old. Now they're going to Gerar, and Abraham says... They might kill me because of you. Tell them you're my sister. And she does, and Abimelech takes her into his harem. Now, can you imagine all the guys around Abimelech? Do you think they're saying, really? She's 89, Abimelech. Are we really that desperate? But you know, he did, and nobody said a word. She must have been fabulous. Gorgeous on the outside. Do you get that? But she obeyed her husband when he was acting out of fear. He was scared of dying. And so he says, you tell them you're my sister so they won't kill me. And he put her in danger twice. Can you imagine? 
So her husband sets her up in this situation, and it happens both times. Pharaoh takes her into his harem. What does she say to him? What does she say to Abraham? See, see ya. I'm a married woman. Here I go. These are not Abraham's finest moments. He endangered his own wife, and she went along with it. All right? Nobody is supposed to act like Abraham. This is not, you know, something for you to imitate. Holy men, put your wives in danger. Abraham did. No. But you know what? She obeyed Abraham as unto God. This is just what she did. And you know what? God blocked for her both times. Both times. God closed all the wombs in Pharaoh's household, and he knew that something was wrong. And with Abimelech, king of Gerar, God comes to him in a dream and says, you know what? You're a dead man. You've taken another man's wife. And he goes, will you kill an entire nation? I mean, I didn't do anything. I didn't touch her. And God says, you're right, because I kept you from touching her. And now restore her, or you're a dead man. Now, you know, God blocked for Sarah. And this is what Peter is saying. She obeyed her husband. She submitted to him, but she was submitted to God. And God took care of her when her husband didn't. So, Sarah had to have her own relationship with God. She was not a spiritual potato who says, well, you know, he's the guy with the promises and all. So I just kind of go wherever he goes. She had to believe God for herself and have her own relationship. And this brings up the problem of why wives don't submit to their husbands, because they're afraid. If I trust my husband, who is out for himself, what is he going to do with me? Am I going to get my needs met? Am I going to be in financial danger? I'm at risk. Somehow I'm going to lose. So here we have a potential situation where the husband is thinking about himself and out of self-preservation, a wife has to think about herself. And so there's conflict. How do we spend the money? Where do we spend our time? What are our activities? So, at a certain point, Jesus says, you're done fighting. Everybody should be done fighting. When you believe in Jesus, your old life died with him on the cross. You are raised from the dead with Jesus. Your life does not depend on your husband or your wife. And like Sarah, you trust in God to block for you and to protect you and to take care of you just like Sarah did. You are like Sarah, a holy woman, a saint. Now, husbands are supposed to submit to their wives too. Defer to their wives. Seek their good first. And this is in total agreement with the Apostle Paul where he says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Peter here says, dwell with them with understanding. And it's an understanding learned from experience. To think about your wife, to observe your wife. What does she like? What does she not like? Do you know? Do you know her favorite fragrance? Or how she likes the kitchen to look? Or where the big serving spoons go? How does she like things? And it's the kind of knowledge that comes from experience. So this is, this is sort of the thing you study for the rest of your life, because you're going to learn new things all the time. When you, when you study your wife, you will find the subject grows on you. You'll find out all sorts of stuff you never knew. So you've got to keep looking. Got to keep learning. And the idea is make her happy. Isn't that a revolutionary thought? Make her happy. That is your job. That is why you are studying your wife. To learn what makes her happy and then do it. Lay down your life for her. That means she gets all the good stuff first. She gets the new phone or the new laptop or whatever she needs. What does she need? Do you know? Are you current? See if you can satisfy her needs and her wants. You know, Peter says she is the weaker vessel. She has a lower position, and physically, you could probably beat her up in a fight. Okay? Yes, women seem to have a very high threshold of pain. But physically, guys can still win. And that's what they do. They cheat. They use their strength to oppress. But... You've got to recognize the fact that women are different. They're not just like guys with longer hair. They're different. And you cannot be impatient with your wife because she does not stick with you. Come on, move it along, let's go. You know, you, you have two different speeds when you get married. When you're single, you've got this speed, and you're, you're living full out, but then your wife has another speed, and it's like, come on, babe, let's go. And you find you can't do that anymore. What you have to do now is find out what is our speed together. And it's this kind of thing where sometimes she's faster than you, and sometimes you're faster, and you can't just, you know, drag someone around by the leash. Come on! Keep up. You got to figure out what is our speed together. And you know that God knows what is your new speed? So it's okay? <laughs> it means we can loosen up and be us. And you know, she has a, the same standing as you in the kingdom of heaven, guys. Did you know that? You are heirs together of the grace of life. There are no secondary positions. 
So we're equal members of the kingdom of God. And she might know God better than you do. So sometimes you need to listen up because she can teach you all sorts of good things. Give her that honor and respect and love her. If she really knew that you would lay your life down for her, do you think she'd have a problem submitting to you? Oh, it's okay. I can submit. He's not going to tie me to the bumper and then race off at 60 miles an hour. He's going to take care of me. I can submit. This is going to be okay. And guys, you notice this last bit here. That your prayers may not be hindered. If you don't treat your wife right, God is not going to answer your prayers. That's what it says. So, have you ever thought that one reason that God is not blessing you is because you're not treating your wife right? If you don't think he's hearing your prayers, maybe he says, you know what, pal, we got a bigger problem here. Is you're not noticing your wife and laying down your life for her. So, as far as we're concerned, I'm not listening. <laughs> You can't be spiritual and ignore your wife. That is not going to fly in this universe or any other universe. So that means that your wife is not a low priority. Your wife, gentlemen, is your second highest priority. Just under God. And when your priorities are right, the Lord is going to listen to your prayers. And it's really an exposition of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's okay for your wife to be your number two priority, with you being number three. Or lower if you have children. It's okay for you to be number six. God's going to take care of you. <laughs> so what Peter is saying here is that our lives are to be holy to the Lord. And our marriages are to reflect who we are. And it means that all of you women are to be holy women. You have to have your own relationship with Jesus. Do you have that? Are you pursuing Jesus? And gentlemen, you are to be holy men. You are to be pursuing Jesus. When we, when we hear things like this on a given Sunday morning, these are the things we need to implement right away and do it. And what it means is, guys, you are to do your job. Women, you are to do what is commanded you. And the temptation is to get the other one to do what they're supposed to commanded to do. And so it's like, you're not doing this. You better do this. And he's not saying that. He's saying, you do what God is commanding you and don't wait for the other person to do it. See, that's a perfect setup for, well, I'm not going to do it until you do it. Well, I'm not going to do it until you do it. And now we're back to conflict, see? This is a different way to win that conflict. Because in the world, it's just a matter of who's got enough strength. Who's better at talking? Who can cut the other down to shreds and manipulate and push? And you know, there's always a winner and a loser. And that's not God's way because both people in a conflict lose. But when you love Jesus 
And when you do what he's telling you to do, you're not a loser. You are a winner. This is really important. See, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And the point of this conflict is not who wins in a relationship. The real issue to overcome is me living for Jesus, me following him, me believing him. That's the real issue to overcome. And the question is, is will I overcome and live for Jesus or will I allow myself to be overcome by evil? Will I love and forgive and show mercy? Or am I going to fight for dominance and be bitter? Now, if you individually do what Jesus is telling you to do, then you are no longer part of the problem. You are a part of the solution. And this is great because God has his path and he wants to get certain things done. But if I'm, if I'm pushing and fighting for myself, here's God trying to get around me somehow, but I'm in his way. And you know, before he takes care of anybody else, he's going to have to take care of me. So what we want to do is say, you know what? I'm going to do what you're telling me right now. I'm going to get out of the way. You do your thing. I'm not going to be a part of the problem anymore. And that means God is free and open to work on other relationships. So, does everybody get what I'm saying here? If we deal with our own, my own stubbornness, my own, I don't want to give up. I want what I want. If I just deal with that, God can do his thing. Now, you single people, you single people have to push into your relationship with Jesus just like every married person. In fact, it's easier for you. You say, well, I don't like being alone. Well, you're not alone. He's right there. Did you notice that? Don't be ignoring him. Because, you know, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus so that when you get married, you bring Jesus into your marriage. Because it's so easy for a single person to say, you know what? I want a relationship. Like a relationship is going to solve all the problems. But you can be just as alone in a marriage as you were when you were single. That other person can be a bazillion miles away from you. And you think, what did I do? And here's what you did. You expect that relationship to solve all your problems. It can't. So you know what? If you want a marriage in the future, seek Jesus now. You don't have a minute to waste because you want to bring him into your marriage when you get married. Does everybody understand me on that? The real issue is you need a relationship with Jesus. And there is no substitute for that. And the Lord wants us to persevere in these things and not get discouraged. Don't be afraid. Have the Lord in you and then bring him into your marriage. Bring him into all your relationships. Let's pray. Thank you. 
thank you, Lord, that you are a God of relationships. You're the one who made them because that's who you are. You have always loved the Son. The Son has always loved you. You have always shared your Holy Spirit of love. And here we are in our relationships, our marriages. And we wonder if they really reflect you. You're the one who knows for sure. And all we can say is, we're sorry for not listening. We're sorry for not being aware of you. So please wash us this morning and cleanse us by your blood. And please be in our marriages. Be in all our relationships. For those of us who are single, please be in our lives. We praise you, Lord, that we are never alone, even when we're alone. You are with us. We pray for all the marriages in our fellowship and for those who are on the live stream. And we pray that you would be clearly displayed, that we would be full of love for one another and submitted to you and living to glorify you. Please help us to love one another just as you have loved us. We commit ourselves into your hand and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.